This is the Unmuted Podcast by Mosaic, hosted by Bella Passi. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unmuted Podcast. I'm your host, Bella Passi. Unmuted is a podcast where we host conversations on pressing issues in today's society, including things like social protest, Black Lives Matter, COVID, and reconciliation. We will host interviews with a diverse group of students from the PLNU community. Unmuted focuses on topics that may be considered hard to talk about, but show that by having the conversation, we can start the change that is needed in these times. And for today's conversation, we will be discussing breaking down the American dream. With me, I have Dr. Matthew Ruffay, Chair of the Chemistry Department and Associate Professor of Chemistry. We're so excited to have him here with us today as he shares his experience. Welcome back, everyone, to the Unmuted podcast. I am so excited to be here again. Um, I'm so excited to be here with our guest. And this is our last episode for season two. So bittersweet, but we're excited to finish out this year with all of you. Um, so we have an awesome topic today, um, and I'm really excited to introduce our guest. So if you can, if you can, you know, tell us your name, who you are on this campus, um, and just share a little bit about yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Dr. Matthew Ruffay. I'm a chemistry professor on campus. I've been teaching at Pont Loma for 10 years. Um, I've been department chair for the last three years. And uh, a little bit of background about me. I come from a pretty big family. I had eight kids. Um, grew up in France, northeast of Paris, and uh, moved to the U.S. about 12 years ago with my wife. Mm -hmm. And so worked at UCSD for two and a half years doing research and then moved to Pont Loma uh, in 2011. And I've loved it. I didn't know Pont Loma existed as a fun story. I just, uh, <laughs> UCSD was so big, I had no idea. And um, I'm glad I discovered it because I've been really happy to be here. So yes. this is a small background for me. Yes, awesome. We're excited to have you. Um, so today we're talking about breaking down the American dream and kind of what that means and stuff. Um, so before we get into that, I want to kind of, you know, provide a little bit of context historically and stuff of like when we're saying the American dream, what are we actually talking about? What are we referencing? So the American dream is the idea that the government should protect each person's opportunity to pursue their idea of happiness. The phrase American dream was invented during the Great Depression. It was the author James Treslow Adams, who was who in his 1931 book, Epic of America, wrote, but there has been but there has also been the American dream, that dream of a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for every man with opportunity for each according to his ability or achievement. If you ask most people around the world what they mean by the American dream, nearly all will, all will respond with some version of upward social mobility, the American success story or the self-made man, to note, rarely the self-made woman. Perhaps they will invoke the symbolic house with a white picket fence and that suggests the economic self-sufficiency and security. Many will associate the phrase with the land of the opportunity for immigrants. So that just provides, you know, a basic overall context of kind of what we're going to be referencing. And then we'll kind of talk a little bit later about has that changed over time and now what does that mean and stuff. Um, but to start off, can you kind of, you know, describe your journey thus far um, in terms of how it has led you to really be a part of this discussion today? That's a good question. Um, so a little bit of background would help probably. Um, I grew up in a in a small town, but we were able to learn English pretty early on by um, 
by going to school who opened up a program for kids who uh, would want to learn the language early on. So we were embedded, I'm saying this because we're embedded in the culture, uh, the British culture and the American culture later on, pretty early on as kids. Mm. Um, and so that gave us a, more of a glimpse, uh, less self-centered towards our French uh, identity, but more towards the world out there. Um, I don't know if many people know this, but the French culture is very much influenced and more so now now than later than uh, it used to be by the American culture. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just not, it doesn't stay between the two oceans. It crosses over mm -hmm. pretty fast. And so, um, I mean, you have American shows, you have everything. That's just a part of our of our lives. But um, I would say I was more exposed to it just because of the school I was a part of. And, and I did that from when I was eight years old all the way until high school. Mm -hmm. So we traveled every year. I went to, to different countries, um, and including the US. But I got even more exposed to it with... Um, with my sister uh, going to an American Bible school in Brussels, in Belgium, and then moving to Visalia, California, to work with a, with a group. And so we were very much embedded in that kind of American culture, American dream, or mm. a land of, of excellence is how we right. would name it. So there was always this um, America got it right kind of mentality mm. when uh, you grew up in France, where they always do it better. You know, mm. um, A classical example would be um, we, we, you know, we used to do church music, you know, fairly low key right and then we used to have this american group come over and that was in the in the 1990s and they would just come it was just everything was just like flawless mm -hmm. um, you know perfect singers great looking great music just the gospel centers like whoa what everything that we don't do they were doing it you know and there was a sense of awe about when american people do come over and do something it's just it's just great yeah. um so it was not necessarily the american dream per se but it was something maybe envious about America that mm. we just um, always aspired to, to, to be a little bit um, not knowing much about it. Just saying, Oh, I just, that's wow. That's there's a wow factor. Right. That yeah. wow factor. Um, not touched the American dream right away, but there's something that people wish they had, if mm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so then for me, um, kind of that, that's, I traveled to the U.S. two summers doing some music with that group my sister was a part of in 2000, 2001. And, and that was kind of my own journey to say, oh, let me try to see what America is like. I've heard of it. I've traveled there a few times, but now it's like me embedded in it. Um, and, and discovering and explaining, uh, not experiencing, experiencing that was very, um, very eye-opening in many ways. And I, and I really enjoyed it much so. And so that's what led me to come back uh, later down to do my some graduate work and then postdoc. Um, but I don't know if I was really driven by the American dream uh, per se, though I would say that my experience with it was more, there's something that they do that French people don't do that I was looking forward to doing. Mm. And I could expand on that later if you want, but there was something about that that was like just exciting for me. And right. I was able to feel like, oh, like, I like to pursue that. Right. So there's a sense of pursuit of this. Yes. Now, when we moved over uh, with my wife, that was a different story because, mm -hmm. you know, you can see, you can travel, but then when you move and you live here, uh, again, we can talk about that later, but that's that's a that's a very different ballgame. Like the right. reality, the boots on the ground of, mm -hmm. well, how do, you, how, do you, how do you do this? How do you live here? How do you survive here? That's a very different conversation. So visiting, you feel like this sense of awe. And then if you actually make the move like we did, um, it's another conversation. Right. Yeah. And I want to break into that kind of a little bit of, you know, you kind of talked about this a little bit of what, I guess, when you heard the American dream before you came over and stuff, but just like, you know, in your context, what were kind of, like you said, those examples that you associated mm -hmm. with it, whether that be words or phrases or visuals for you yeah. in your, like, what was that for you kind of? Yeah. 
And, and a lot of it might seem very uh, stereotypical. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if you have American shows, you, you definitely picture a big house. You mm -hmm. definitely picture the white fences. You definitely picture a family with two kids or three kids and a big car or two cars or mm -hmm. three cars. That's what you picture. Right. Because that's what TV portrays. So that's mm -hmm. the only picture we have of America is what TV, sh TV shows we have. You know, Seven Heaven and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It's like, that's what they show. So that's what it must be. Mm -hmm. Everything perfect. Yes. It's this picture of perfect. Um from the music to the to movie. So that's that's the picture we had. Uh, but that also portrayed with, we have to remember, it, especially in France, um, the World War One and Two just had right. a big impact on, on, on mm -hmm. America coming over and, and help. Um, and so that also left um, a different perspective on what America was. And for some people, kind of the savior mentality, but also imposing the American view on, on French people as mm -hmm. well. Um, so I hope that answers your question. But for yes. me, that's... That's the image we have of America. Yeah, so. definitely. And then I want to talk about what you just said of like having that and then coming over here, moving, right? Settling mm -hmm. down. What were those, you know, changes that are like, what, like, what were those things that kind of altered your perception yeah. a little bit? Yeah. So it's like, you're welcome here, right? Mm -hmm. But you better work as hard as you can to prove yourself that you belong here mm -hmm. is what it felt like. Um, and it sounds, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense, but, um, in, in small practical ways, it was quite challenging. So, for example, um, just wanting to rent a place. Well, we you have no history. There's mm -hmm. no parents to vouch for you because my parents could, but they're French. They're not going to talk to anybody about it. Um, so nobody knows you. So how do you get to get a, a place to rent? They don't know mm -hmm. anything about you. So they're going to charge you double the amount, not a rent, but of the down payment. Not the down payment. Sorry, it's the right word. Uh, what is the... A word for Mortgage? It. No. Uh, when you rent a place, you have to put a deposit. Oh, Sorry. yes. Thank you. <laughs> so you put a deposit. They ask you for double amount. Well, mm -hmm. you don't make much money yet, and you have to put double deposit. Buying a car, you have no credit score, no credit history. Nobody knows anything about you, so they're going to charge you the highest interest possible. And that's pretty shocking when you move. And I was like, well, 28, 29, I, I bought a car in France. I mm. got a 3% rate. Right. And here's like, we offer you 18%, 20%, because we have no idea who you are. So every step is complicated. Getting a cell phone is complicated. It's just not simple. Um, and I would argue maybe I was more privileged being from uh, France, rather than maybe mm -hmm. other countries. Mm -hmm. And I would, I, I know that's probably true from my friend's experience at UCSD. Uh, but even then, it's just, nobody makes it easy for you, ever. Mm. And you feel like you have to all constantly fight and fight and fight to get through it. Um, to, you know, getting a visa and feeling like when you cross the border now and you're going to move here, it's like, why are you coming here? That's the first thing you hear. It's like, why are you here? And checking every paper, every fingerprints, everything to say, are you really worthy to be here? Mm. Um, that's hard. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not like you welcome home. It's like, no, actually, we wonder why you're here is a right. question. So every time we cross over... We know it's always been a struggle and we've missed so many connection flights because mm. of that, because they're going to take you longer, because they just, you just don't feel welcome. You feel like the police officer you talk to mm. is not your friend mm. at all. And it's going to make sure that you have to prove to us like you deserve to be here. Right. And after that, we'll leave you at peace for a little bit. Yeah. Um, that feeling is not fun. Um, you do it and, you know, but even after a couple of years, you feel like, oh, we've been here for a while. We pay taxes here mm. and you still feel that sense of, do I belong here? Um, that's hard. Yeah. Um, because nothing is made easy. So it's like you have this beautiful dream of, of upward mobility, like mm -hmm. you talk about. Yeah, on paper. In reality, it's a, it's a battle every day to, to kind of live there. We were fortunate to have some really close friends who helped us out, who lived here around. They were, a bit, they were able to help us navigate those things. But getting your school loans, um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you name it, you have it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of the thing. Again, I understand that coming from France is a 
privileged compared to other countries, but it's not made easy. Right. And I think that's kind of, you know, a theme we're going to outline too, of like this perception versus what the reality is. And I think for a lot of people who, you know, are coming in, like you said, from all different countries with different experiences and contexts and that coming over here and what that realistically means for them and stuff. Um, and it is interesting too. Like we talk about, I want to talk about, you know, the historical context of this in terms of like, we talk about America as like the land of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is tied to freedom and the individual rights we have. And, you know, the, um, like the government that we have in place to like secure those rights and things. And that's really appealing to a lot of people for, which makes a lot of sense and stuff, especially when there's a lot of different governments that operate very differently in the world as well. Um, so I wanted to talk about this just in the sense of um, going back into a little bit more of the historical history lesson of, you know, why we are known as the land of opportunity to some. Mm-hmm. So the Declaration of Independence states the principles that underlie the American dream. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The founding fathers based the U.S. Constitution, the highest law on the land, on these rights. Each person, each person's desire to pursue happiness was not just self-indulgence, but also drove ambition and creativity. By legally protecting these values, the founding fathers created an attractive society for those aspiring to do a better life. Um, And it's so funny, I think, to read that wording and then to hear the context of it today, where it is a very much um, people who come over feel like they're being interrogated and questioned and, you know, what are your motives for being here and stuff. Um, And the process is very hard. Which in some ways, like, I understand the process is hard, but um, in terms of how we treat the people coming over here, I think is a different conversation that we're trying to have. So I wanted to touch a little bit more on that in terms of like, you know, can you give us some um, of what comes to your mind, like personal specific experiences or encounters that maybe you have had where it's kind of caused you to change your perspective a little bit in terms of that would be, I guess, tangible. And you've kind of given some already, but mm-hmm. to people who are from here or who are not from here and kind of are like learning a little bit more about that. Yeah. Okay. Let me try to give you a few thoughts. Um, one, maybe more on the, that move my perspective on the more, maybe the negative side and one mm-hmm. on the positive side. Yes. Let's start with the positive. Um, the French way of thinking when it comes to academia mm-hmm. is is a very uh, hierarchical, uh, right? So hierarchy. So mm-hmm. so the boss of a lab is going to have some professors and then so on and so forth. And so you're not being trusted um, as a graduate student or even postdoc or as you go up the ladder, you're not given much responsibilities. Even if you have a PhD, that's irrelevant because mm-hmm. you have the ladder of, of the boss is the boss and he makes all the decisions. In America and in lab in academia here, you're given much more freedom, which mm-hmm. I experienced that when I was at UCSD, where I just didn't know I was capable of doing things that my boss said, yeah, go ahead, do it. Like this would never be accepted for me to do that at my level. Um, or when I was hired at Pornoma to teach a lecture course with students. In France, I would have waited probably five to 10 years to teach a lecture course. Mm-hmm. First you teach maybe a lab, maybe. And then you get to teach maybe a recitation. And then maybe mm-hmm. you get to teach lecture. Like lectures are for the professors who've been here for a long time. Um, same thing with choosing a research project. So I came to Portland, I chose the research I wanted to work on and selected my students. And it's been wonderful ever since. 
I wouldn't have never had my own research agenda, at least that much freedom mm. um, in in France. That that's just the fact. So so the positive of that is that that changed because in America you give an opportunity. So you, you, like a lot is given to you, but a lot is required. But at least a lot is given. Right. In France, sometimes we expect a lot, but we don't give much. So it's difficult to pull it off. And so that's a very positive thing for me that changed mm. my perspective. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm actually trusted here. Mm. When you're in the right boat, when I was at UCSD and now at Portland, I felt trusted um, that somehow I know something. In France, when I was in grad school, I felt like I never knew nothing. <laughs> that's yeah. what it felt like <laughs> on a regular basis. Um, so that empowerment was changed my mind in a very positive way. Like, oh, that's... Thank you for trusting me. It uh, doesn't make me know everything. There's many things I have to learn. But at least you allow me to try and you allow me to maybe fail and learn from it. Um, that is not what happened in my own culture. On the flip side, though, um, on the more the negative side, is is also um, being welcome, like a, similar to being welcomed. So the experience of, of being a part of this culture here, you feel like you never belong. Like you, you never, so maybe an experience. The first church we were attending um, my wife and I attended. My wife didn't speak much French, um, didn't speak much English at all when we came over. So she tried to do accelerated programs to mm-hmm. learn the language and try to belong. Right? She was this you know, very funny, very excited person. And then all of a sudden you're like, you shut down because you cannot communicate. Mm. Well, it was very hard. Right. And she, we just got married a couple of weeks before that. So it's a new thing, new marriage, new country. And, and we were going to church. And I think for a month, I mean, I don't think one or two person addressed her or um, mm. say hi to her and welcome her. And so like I, in my church, you would come to my own church in France. You would be new wherever you come from. Well, you'll have lunch with us, like mm-hmm. in my home, mm-hmm. to welcome because that's the culture, the community aspect we have. And she felt very isolated. It was difficult to see because it's like, oh yeah, you're smiling, you're nice, you're praising and everything, Jesus, but you don't care. Right? <laughs> you, we're next to you, don't care. And actually, the two people who cared for us the most uh, were we call them our, our Mexican grandmas. <laughs> they were oh. two two ladies. They were so lovely, and they welcomed us in their home. I mean, literally welcomed us to their home. Mm-hmm. We came Thanksgiving for whatever. We were there in their home, and and um. And it was like, oh my gosh, you guys care. But I think the their um, Hispanic origin mm. and Mexican origin, they're more community-based like we are. So mm-hmm. we had a sense of understanding each other, even though we didn't speak the language right, yeah. <laughs> to each other. And um, and that was very heartwarming. Um, that they would say, no, you have a seat next to me. And every Sunday, I remember, they was like, come, you sit next to me. Mm-hmm. Didn't speak much, but gave a hug. And then we knew we, we belonged. Um, but that was not true for many of the American people we mm. knew, um, unfortunately, because she could not speak the language. Right. So it felt like, again, other barriers. If you don't speak much like we do speak, then... Um, you don't belong. And that, mm. that's hard mm-hmm. um, because the, the the amount of grace is not given as much, unfortunately. Uh, unless you fully belong and you do like us, then you belong. Otherwise, uh, step up and then when you're ready, we'll, we'll welcome you. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Just to her. Uh, and that's that's not easy to observe. Yeah, um, definitely. Because like, well, you, you appear nice and friendly, but in reality, it takes, it's actually hard work. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think it's so important to have those like tangible um, examples and stuff where people can hear that and and like have also related to that in some way or another, whether that be in a different, you know, context, but still being able to understand that, um, loneliness or not belonging and stuff and, you know, how that can relate to so many other things. Um, may I add one more actually? Yes, definitely. Uh, We were doing a camping trip. We went from San Diego to, to San Francisco camping on the way on the one. And, uh, we were going to a restaurant one, one night and, um, and we were eating dinner and then the guy came back with a check and just circled three or four times the tip because mm. in France we don't tip. So just to make sure you get a tip, he mm-hmm. just reminded us right. because we're not American that here we tip. I was so offensive. I was so offended. Yeah. I'm like, just for this, I'd 
rather not give you a tip, but yeah. I did it regardless. But I was just so offended. I'm like, yeah. I've been here a long time. I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's not the first restaurant I eat at. Mm-hmm. And I know that tip is a big thing in the US. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. But just being reminded that right. because you heard our accents and we're speaking French with each other. I'm like, that's so rude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so rude. Yes. So offensive. Like, you don't even know me. Right. If, I, if I'd maybe not tipped at the end, you'd be like, hey, did I do something wrong? Yes. That's, that's a fair thing. You know, yes. if I forget. But before anything, judging the fact that I might not tip, so I'm going to circle and remind you that here we tip and here's right. how much you should tip was very offensive. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, why are you doing this? Um, if I'd forgotten, that's a different conversation. Yeah. So those kind of things, it's small things. And mm-hmm. it's like, you move on and we went, it was a beautiful camping trip. But it's like, that left a, a sour taste. It's mm. like, mm-hmm. come on. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so it's not, I'm not bitter. It's just like small things like this sometimes remind you. Right. You know. Right. So sorry, interrupted. No, no, totally fine. Yeah. And remind you and I think remind other people as well. Um, And, you know, I think also when we talk about the American dream, a lot of the time we're referencing people, um, you know, who are not from the U.S. coming over into the U.S. Um, But there's also like, you know, the American dream is also very much a thing, I think, for people domestically Mm -hmm. here who, you know, because it does signify, like we talked about, upward mobility. So this... um, narrative which i think provides a lot of hope of like raising up your situation and you know making it better leaving the world better than when you came and stuff um and so i kind of wanted to like you know talk about both both groups in that way but um why do you think you know people both internationally and domestically are so attracted to this idea of the American dream? What do you think, I don't know, it provides to them or gives them or whatever that may be? That's a great question. I, I, so it seems to me, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, Mm. because here you can be trusted and you are able to try things. Like it's, it's very entrepreneurial in Mm. America Mm -hmm. where you can try things and you can fail and keep going. And just this mentality of, I'm not going to give up. uh, That's attractive because that's not true for many other cultures. So I think maybe internally and also externally, internationally, I would say, um, it, it's something people look up to and say, wow, I can be trusted, I can, give in, I can be empowered to right. do something. And the American mentality of empowering people, it's, 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 all, it's nice to mm-hmm. know that you can be empowered. Um, so I think that's what drives people because in a sense, it gives you a sense of value, that you're valued for who you are as an individual and we can trust you with something to try and go for it. And even if you fail, try again and you've learned something, that's valued. That is not true for other many other cultures. Well, I'm not aware of many other cultures as being mindful, but in my culture, that's not true. In my culture, we tend to put people down much faster. Mm. Um, you know, you're not able, you're not capable. That's that's a common thing since mm-hmm. school. Um, not not true for everybody, but it tends to be more uh, more of the distinction of like you're never going to really make it. You know, mm. um, so you have this sense of yeah, I'm not going to make it, <laughs> and you're okay. It's like well, whatever, and you deal with it. But here is like no, there's a sense you actually can make it. You can actually make a difference. Mm. Well, I've never heard that growing up. So I think that's attractive to people. So, mm-hmm. oh, you, you put me down. Now you, you elevate that I can actually do something. So when you're being trusted as a human, that thing that puts value on your life and you feel like you want to continue and pursue that. Um, and I think that's what drives people to do that in many ways, at least from my perspective. Right. Again, limited perspective. That's my, my personal experience. I feel like, wow, if I can be trusted, I, I'm going to go for it. And that, that I like to keep doing that. Right. Um, and then I can feel like I make a difference. I was never told I'd make a difference in the world. Mm. No, it's like, just get a job. And then, um, and then, yeah, provide for your family. But, that, but like, you will make a difference. Just that concept is not even in my language. Mm. It's, it's not, I mean, 
that's not in many French people language. Like you can make a difference in the world. Like who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or why? Right. Or oh, I'm unique and special to do that. Mm. Maybe now more with social media and everything, mm-hmm. which we can talk about after. But there's it's not it's not even in my framework of thinking that mm. I can make a difference. Why would I even care for making a difference? Why would I be empowered to do so? Right. Uh, because again, the school system and the work system is again is very is top down. Uh, more more often than not. So you know, unless you're the boss, you. Mm-hmm. Just get up there and we'll talk later, right? right. It's just always a concept. Yeah. That's so interesting too, because I think you're right in the sense of like, that's not something I think most Americans would even realize right. is unique to the culture of what they grew up in is this mentality of just like, you're special or you're different or you have the ability or potential to do something that matters. Um because that is something that is ingrained in culture and your background and experience and how well, you push grow it up. further. It's yeah. not just ingrained, it's expected. Right. Um, so an example in, in, my, in my own training, um, even grading, the American way of grading, and I've talked to this with my students recently, when you grade in American grading, it's 70% is the average. Mm. And you better not get a 70%, by the way. Everybody <laughs> should get at least an A, yes. right? Expected, expected an A. Yes. Well, um, that's a very foreign concept to me. Mm. How can you expect an A in every class you take? Mm. That means you're good at everything. Well, apparently you must be, but you have to be because right. the society expects you to do that. Well, in France, no, you just, that's not how it works. If you get 50%, you pass the class and you can move on. Mm. And and so it, and I could go further, but for the sake of time, I want, the point of this is though is, is it's expected that you are unique, you're amazing at everything. Mm-hmm. And it's a part of the, you just, you bathe in that nonstop. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's almost like if you don't have it, if you don't tell someone they're amazing, then they go to the other extreme, like I'm nothing. Right. And it's part of the culture. Well, yeah. if you start from the bottom saying, you're not great to start with, any good things, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so coming to the America from that mentality, you tell me I'm good at something. That's oh, that's that's nice to hear because mm. I didn't hear that growing up. Mm-hmm. Versus here, it's expected. Right. So now if you don't tell me I'm great, I must be nothing. Right. So then we lose, we've lost the, 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 the middle. We've lost the discussion of saying, actually, no, you might not be good at this, but you could be good at that. And yeah. that's okay too. And you belong as well. We don't say that. We're not very nuanced because mm. we all have, we have to be great. America mm-hmm. is great. Everybody's mm-hmm. great. Everybody's awesome. Right. And I laugh about it. And, yeah. and, um, and I love that part of it too. Yeah. But I'm just saying, okay, the truth is nobody's great at everything. So right. I don't we should be real. <laughs> yes. But we can do that. We yeah. can say that because we're going to be real at everything yeah. and be good at everything. And that's yeah. that's a very interesting um, concept. Mm. Um, I told my students last time, like, how can you get a 4.5 GP out of 4? It's mathematically mm-hmm. impossible, but I guess we can do that in America. Mm-hmm. That's unheard of for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can. Yeah. <laughs> in high school, you can. Um, so it's, it's this, again, I think for me, this ties into, and I may be wrong, but it's my, my perspective, my opinion on this one, that we've tied into the greatness, to the desire to do amazing things. Mm. So, of course, everything is elevated to right. top, 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 top. You're always a top. And right. if you're not a top, you're, you're nobody, which has other interesting consequences. But Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so interesting, even as you say that, too, of just then the backside of it, of... Um, the negative connotations, right, of the pressure, mm-hmm. then we have like a lot of, you know, young adult students feeling of, I need to get make these grades, I need to be the best, or like you said, even with social media and stuff of there, it's very um, appearance based, I guess you would say, like yes. reputation based of what, how do you look, where do you fall, how do you rank in that as well. Um and you're right, there's so many positives in the sense of the potential you can have to be the best or make a difference, but also the pressure That's of right. when you feel like you don't, right. you aren't the best. It comes at a high cost. Yes, And definitely. the question is, are you willing to pay the price? Right. Um, but I'll leave you uh, one, one more thought on this, yeah. if I may. Um, what's interesting to me is 
the fact that you have to appear always great and perfect mm. gives, in a sense, um, shields you from being yourself. And what we see mm. more and more now is, is people are not, they cannot be themselves. Right. Now, in the business world and in the uh, entrepreneurial world, we, we say you can fail and learn from your failures. Mm -hmm. In reality, though, the system is not made for you to fail or accept mm. the failure. And as such, failing is, or failing an exam or a quiz, is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. It's like, how dare you? How can mm -hmm. you get a B or a C in that class? Mm. And for me, it's it's an unrealistic expectation that somehow you can never fail. You should go through life never failing. Well, I think we see that in this new generation sometimes of students who have not learned to fail. Right. And in France, we maybe fail too much, <laughs> which is not better. <laughs> But at the same time, like there's there's something healthy about saying, actually, I'm okay with not being good at this. And I'm okay mm -hmm. with failing at that. And I learn from that and I can focus on what I'm good mm -hmm. at. I think the American dream of you can do anything you want. You can be whoever you want. Um, just try. Right. It, it's it's a lie. It's just a lie. Yeah. Because it forgets that humans being are different. They have different strengths, different weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And we just have to, we just have to figure out what, what these are. That's yeah. life. That's a journey. But assuming we should be good at everything just because we try, it's 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 um it's a lie for me. It's a lie to me because it doesn't work out. And people realize that soon enough, and they feel like depressed and yeah, like oh, I'm good as good. I'm not as good as I thought. It's like well, yeah, you're right. you were never right. I was never yeah. But because that was never my intent. Yeah, that was never our intent. We were not designed to always be good at everything and always thriving and everything is great. Because then what we do is we live a, a second life, the mm -hmm. second life of my Instagram life. I call this where everything is perfect, right? But in reality. Inside, it's just a turmoil. But we just don't show it because we can't show it. Where right. am I going to show it? Where am I going to be judged? Because right. I should be happy. I should be smiling. Life should be great. There's always the new opportunities. You be you. And I think that that's what I see now in the culture here. And it's, it's a bit sad. Mm. That's for me the, the downside of the American dream. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, there you have it. And it comes at high cost. Yeah, definitely. Um, and one more thing. Yeah. It's, it also comes at a cause of working as hard as you can right. to the point of exhaustion in American culture. I've never seen a culture that works that hard. Mm. Um, I know there are others. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, made aware by, by some of my friends. But I know American culture is a culture of work, 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 work nonstop. Mm. Um, people don't take vacations. I, I, that is so foreign to me <laughs> as a, yeah. a French person. Yeah. Like, like, well, you never rest. So you make a lot of money. You're rich, but you don't enjoy it too much. Mm -hmm. Or if you do, it, it seems like it at least. Um, not true for everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm, again, this is very general. And this is my perspective. I may be wrong. But it's, you, people are working so much, mm -hmm. so much. I, I just, some people have no choice. I get that. There's, yeah. there's again, the financial constraint yeah. of, okay, now you have to work for right. many things. I get that. But in general, it would just work way too hard. Oh, yeah. But it's so true. I mean, I, I remember I, I've had conversations with people of like, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm trying to deconstruct what's already just been like designed to be the way I think in terms of like, you know, when I have free time not feeling guilty because that's my automatic thing of being like, I feel like I need to be doing something or I'm not being as productive as it could be. And it is so, it is like to first identify that in itself is just so challenging. Um, and then to try to deconstruct that a little bit. Um, it's difficult when the culture runs, you expects you to always be on. Right. Um, definitely. Which again, even comparing grad school in France and grad school here, mm. I got to do six months in the UCSD grad school and then finish my, my, my PhD in France. Um, I don't remember working on weekends hardly yeah. ever because the lab is shut down. Why? Well, safety reason and also it's the weekend. Right, <laughs> um, right. Moved to the US and people never stopped working. Mm. I was like, you were here yesterday? It's Sunday. <laughs> yeah. It was for, and people assume, well, you're more productive. I'm like, I don't deny you're more productive. Mm -hmm. I don't deny you make more money. Like, This is true. But again, at what cost? Mm. And I, man, people were, yeah, I've seen people work so hard. And I, now I kind of 
got into that rhythm that mm-hmm. you have to work hard. And but it became for me the my problem with this is we tie this to the American dream of like, well, you should work hard. It's expected. Right. Otherwise, how can you be successful? Um, and there's no other options. Mm. But then again, it was the cost. Well, family and rest and then we were anxious and stressed out and we don't take care for our, of ourselves physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Was that, of course, if you keep working like a beast then. So it's, it's the American dream, the, the other side of the American dream. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, you can, you can get, you can be whoever you want. Yes. But you're going to put all the hours there at what cost? Right. And I see that in, in our students and I see in, in our churches and I see that in the world around us. And I'm like, that's the, that's the American dream comes with a cost. Mm. And it's so interesting today, I think, like we talked about too, with just like youth and, you know, the next generation of like, I've seen studies, you know, reported where it's like, and this is also, I think, tied to like how mental health is now much more of a topic and stuff as well. But, you know, like younger and younger generations are just reporting higher Mm -hmm. cases and increase in terms of, you know, being more prone and suffering from mental health and all of these different things. Um, And you do ask yourself, well, what is this because it's a product of what our society, you know, um, embraces the most in terms of the values and expectations we put on people. Um, I want to, so now having just talked about all of that, I want to ask you, you know, when people are using the term American dream today, what do you think they're referencing? Today as opposed to when? I think today as opposed to when it started. I think the issue is a little bit more complex because the what happens in America that created the American dream mm-hmm. and how is it translated in different countries right. and the evolution of that American dream, I think is different. Mm. Um, so let me preface it by saying this. American people do not generally rec- recognize how American politics, America, what happens in America is everywhere around the world right. seen and watched on a regular basis. Um, in our news, we talk about America on a regular basis. I was reading the French news um, two days ago, and there's like four or five articles about the U.S. Mm. This is daily. This is just normal. Yeah. Because everybody watches the U.S. Now, I'm not sure how that has impacted the American dream. Um, recently, I would argue that people have seen a, f- a facet of American that they did not know existed. It seems like it. Um, but again, that's... I don't have data to say that. Right. This is just an experience. And this is what I've, I've when talking with my family and friends and my cousins and nieces and nephews and uncles, that's the perception of like, we thought American people were generous and excited and everything. And then they saw something quite drastically different mm-hmm. in many ways that I think has impacted things um, maybe for the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, can go into details if you look, if you want. But for now, this is, I think, I don't know how the image has been portrayed. Um that has changed over the years. I do think people have, because now you have more access to the data and information and see who people right. are like. I think this beautiful Instagram perfect picture of America that was like, whoa, the land of the free and you can do everything mm-hmm. has become more and more reality because people have experienced it by just living it through social media and videos. Right. That was not possible 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. That makes them say, oh, oh, that that's, that's how it is. Mm-hmm. Still biased, mm-hmm. still probably uninformed in many ways and still lacking much of the understanding of the cultural American standards, right. but still like tinted a little bit by yes. saying, oh, that's not what I thought it was. The, the perfect thing you show me is not mm. truly what it is. So that's a change, I would say, because now it's more global. 
Yeah. And I think that's such an important thing to bring up is, I mean, there is such, and you're right there. I don't think people in America who are from America are very aware of, um, the eye in which everybody is watching oh, America yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah. I wish people knew that. Yeah. Make a difference. Yeah, same. <laughs> Me too. No, no idea. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Could go um, for, probably now we're on this one. Yes, definitely. But if I, when I, the fact that we live in the US, um, we, if we're back to France, that's the first question people ask about. Right. Elections. Present. Mm. I mean, it's this is on their mind all the time. Mm-hmm. Like the, the American elections, for example, is probably more covered than any other topics mm. in French media, even though we have other things happening. Wow. Because people just look at, to the, because it's such a powerful nation. Totally. That whatever yeah. happens there will impact the rest of the world. Right. Um, regardless, left or right. I mean, I'm not trying yeah. to make a political yeah. uh, stance here. I'm just saying people watch. Right. And watch and watch and pay attention. Yes. Um, so, sorry. No, yeah, definitely. Um, and I asked that question because it is like, what are we talking about when we're saying the American dream today? Um, and so I wanted to talk about this in terms of, you know, several factors that are challenging um, the American dreams, I guess, like continued viability. And some of these factors are including low mobility. So the United States has lower rates of income mobility than other developed countries. America scores lower than France, Germany, Sweden, Canada, Finland, Norway, and Denmark. Uh, the government debt. So the U.S. has $27 trillion in federal debt and $4 trillion in consumer debt combined. That's much more than the U.S. gross domestic product of $21 trillion. And then climate change. Some people feel their vision of the American dream is threatened by solutions like the Green New Deal. But if nothing is done, global warming will slow growth between 2007 and 2017. Extreme weather, health risks, sea level rise, and flood inflation have cost the U.S. government $350 billion. Um, so I think, you know, sometimes, like you said, there's a lot now with news and technology that it's pushed out and stuff, but I think there's sometimes still that overarching theme of people see America and there's the immediate, um, ideas that come to mind or, you know, connotations they have from it and stuff. And so a lot of these factors though, that are very apparent today, people don't always, read and part of that is because we don't talk about it as well in America and stuff you know um but kind of why this conversation we want to have is so important and why we want to talk about it is um people come over all the time to America mm-hmm. and you know no matter that it's a big move it's a big decision and it's impactful in terms of it splits families apart mm-hmm. um it's the difference between someone's like livelihood and income and things like that um, and like you said, there's a lot of emotional and identity impact in that as well. And so having this conversation is kind of what we're hoping to, you know, address in all of that as well. Um, and so I want to ask you, you know, after talking about that with the factors and stuff, do you think there is, um, a glamorization maybe, or I don't know, something of that accord, um, that can sometimes be misleading to people when we talk about the American dream um, or I guess like what they expect to encounter when they come over to America and stuff. Or do you think that's something that's not as apparent today or ever was? I would say it used to be more than it is now Mm. because before, let's say before social media, um, the only way, I don't mean to, the only mean to portray that was TV and Hollywood. Right. So they would portray whatever they want to portray, and that would look very glamorous and very nice in America. 
with social media, again, the more reality shows have shown something a bit different. So I think it's different Yeah. now. Um, is it still portraying something glamorous in general? Yes, because I feel like America doesn't want to hold this view of themselves as being less than what they used to be. Mm. So I still think I still think there's a desire for the perfectionism, the, the the pursuit of excellence, the desire to look good. It's still very much pervasive mm-hmm. in in how things are, are done here, which still attracts some people. Right. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think when you come over, it's just a different ballgame. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like to me. And yeah. I think I think that's still true today. Um, I'll be curious to see what happens in ten, fifteen years right. when all this has you know gone by and and more issues rise up. Um, but as it stands, there's still there's still a desire to portray itself as a great country that's welcoming people. Mm. That's why it's still, it's still there's a, it seems like there's an innate sense of that we're very welcoming. Mm-hmm. The reality is different. Yeah, but there's a desire it feels like from an outside to portray, and you can see again in the movies. I mean, Hollywood has not changed the messaging, mm-hmm. uh, and Hollywood's movies are streamed <laughs> quite everywhere. Right. So so that that still the same message. It might look a little bit different. We might address different topic, but it's still the the American dream of of the land where you can do many things is still very much vibrant. Yes. Um, and very much portrayed. Mm. And now you might look at, like I said, a bit different, but it's still deep ingrained in, uh, in this is the life we hope you will live somewhere. And so if you don't have that life, you look at that this American life and you feel like that's better than mine. Mm-hmm. Worth pursuing. Um, and we have to recognize America is still a very, very rich country. Mm. So for many people, even if it's hard, they still they think they're going to make it financially more than they will make in, in other parts of the world. Because right. the truth is you may pay much more. Right. Again, it comes with a cost. You work harder. I mean, there's so mm-hmm. many factors. But the truth is still, most likely people will make more money. Right. Not true for everybody. I recognize that. It's mm-hmm. a struggle. And many people suffer. But I'm just saying, in general, that, that seems to be um, right. people that what people see and observe. Right. Um, so I think that's attracting to people. Yeah. Attractive to people. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're coming to a close now. Um, and you know, this podcast, like a lot of our listeners are students and things. Um, and we have people who aren't, you know, students as well, but especially I think as I'm thinking about like our international students here who are, especially as we're ending the school year Mm -hmm. and they're having to decide, am I going to stay? Am I going back home? Or, you know, other people who just in general, whether that be, from outside of America or in American stuff, um, what advice do you have to give um, for any individuals that are trying to pursue their own American dream? Hmm. That's loaded. <laughs> That's a <laughs> tough one. Stephen Garber, in one of his books, said something interesting. He said, um, speaking about different things, and he says, if you can still know the world and still love it, then you, you can pursue your vocation. And I, I would like to apply that to America. If you can mm. still know what it's all about and still love it, right. then stay. Mm. But if you still know, you know everything about America after a couple of years and you just cannot see yourself here, then go home. Yeah. Because why be miserable if it doesn't, if it's not a fit? Mm. For me, uh, as a French person, I, I know what I left. I left at 27. I knew enough about France. I'm like, I know what I like about it. French culture, the community, the food. All that, I, I know what I was leaving in my family, but also know what I was sort of gaining here. And it was worth uh, maybe fighting for. Mm. Um, and I don't regret it. I, mm. I just don't. I do miss my family. I do miss the French food. And I do, but I can travel. There's mm. ease of travel without COVID. <laughs> I can travel back and forth <laughs> right. fairly easy. It's not cheap, but there's something we can do um, if we have the money. 
so it's it's more achievable that way um but i have i always despite everything i said which i still think is true mm-hmm. i still love i still love america right mm-hmm. I, I do like the country i do like the opportunities i do like the fact that there's some amazing people here and people who really have great values and mm-hmm. and people that can i can trust and trust me and i love that right and so then i feel like i won't i can stay here if that's not true and i've met many french people who lived here and just be like hated every minute of it i'm like just go home yeah and that's okay um don't stay if you don't want to you know and again i have to be mindful that this is an easy option for some not for others some mm. people cannot go home because of the country's in a war or something so I'm, I'm aware of that it's a caveat but the truth is if you can and you don't feel like you like this place yeah i think it's okay now if you want to be here i think it's wise to be surrounded by community mm. and not be alone because america is a very individualistic country and that's yes. unfortunate people it's all about you and all about you and, and just you and yourself right yeah because the american dream is on your own it's not mm-hmm. with others mm-hmm. because others are new competition for your american dream mm. so move people out of the way to get to your dream uh, that's sad mm. um I, that's for me that's not healthy either so then i would recommend if you're international and you want to live here find community mm. it's a good church or other things but find community where you can just be surrounded by people who understand and walk you through it. Uh, a diverse community is even better, I would argue. Um, like I said, I've, all the churches we've been a part of, I've always enjoyed um, the different communities. Yeah. Uh, because that's what my church was like, very diverse. And I, I love that diversity aspect. It just makes us better. So for me, that that's what I would say. It's just fun community. Uh, and then also for me, it's just let's be realistic. Mm. Let's redefine what American dream is. And then I would argue as, as a Christian, how do, how do we define this in light of what scripture says? Right. Because if I'm pursuing happiness, is that what I'm supposed to pursue anyway? Mm. Um, and I think I'd like to to maybe question why am I pursuing this? So I like to ask a deeper question. Why do I want to be rich and healthy and whatever? It's like rich and wealthy, sorry, and everything. It's like, what, what's, what's the goal? Mm. Is that going to bring me happiness? Is that going to bring me, um, is that going to make me feel closer to God? Um, I'm not sure. Nothing wrong against it. Just, I'm not sure. I would argue that in fact, I should pursue um, holiness instead and pursue just God as, as a mean to, to become more like Christ and more a lover of other people um, and, and just more caring that's what I think I should become. And it becomes not the American dream, but just becomes being a disciple. Yeah. And and that for me is I try to contrast both. So if you want to stay here, I think for me is just be mindful of both models. Um, they don't necessarily work well together sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I would argue, yeah, let's be mindful of the American dream. And there's some pros in there that's wonderful. But also let's be mindful that it shapes us in a way that's maybe not necessarily um, publicly relevant or, or aligned with what I would say following Jesus looks like. Mm-hmm. And so as such... If you can hold both intention and recognize them, then I think you can have a, a great life here because you can recognize the pros and use it and say, yeah, but in this area, I'm just going to try to be maybe countercultural, but try to follow Jesus faithfully. That for me uh, is important. And that for me is what makes um, the life here possible. Um, and also I would argue, the last point is embracing both cultures. Uh, what people don't recognize is you have to almost leave your culture when you come here. There's a big process of acculturation. And if you're an international student or an international, international person coming here, the psychology of acculturation is something worth studying and reading about. Mm. There are stages of acculturation. There are stages of, of rejecting your country, then accepting this one, then eventually come back to peace with both countries. And there's a lot that's going on here in our mind that I would argue it's worth either talking to a therapist about or just reading about because it's much more than meets the eyes when it comes to moving country. Mm. And I think people don't recognize that. It's like, oh, let me go for it. And we right. bury it down. But no, it's actually, it's, it's a big process. Um, I'll tell you, after 12 years here, I sometimes wonder, like, who am I now? Mm. I'm not really American still. I can, I can tell you that. 
I try, but sometimes, as, you know, <laughs> I, I still can't feel like I'm different. Yeah. But when I go home, I'm also different because I've not lived there for 12 years. Mm-hmm. The contrast changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that process, again, community matters for that because it's a change. Yeah. And it's not easy. And, and we can say, oh, I, you know, making more money, I have more people. It's like, yeah, but you're missing family. You're missing your culture, your roots. You've been u- uprooted. Mm. That is hard. Building, building new roots takes time. And if we go back to the individualistic culture here, making friends in America is difficult because if it's all for you and for, for me, the, con- the community aspect is not as open, I would say, right. um, as it would be in other countries. So that makes it even harder to not feel alone and, and, and just nobody cares. Mm-hmm. You know? So a lot of things there, but I would say community matters. Let's evaluate to, to, to summarize, community matters. Let's evaluate that in light, the American dream in light of, of scripture. And last but not least, let's not forget to do the processing work of, I change culture and what does it look like? And what does it mean? Mm. And accepting the feelings that goes along with that, which can be quite difficult sometimes. Yeah. Thank you. That is amazing advice. Um, and that kind of wraps up our time here now, especially. Um, thank you so much for being here. Um, do you have anything that you would like to promote at all? Anything going on on Point Loma or anything else? Not really, honestly. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> uh, just encourage students to keep going, don't give up, and find community. Yeah, definitely. That's it. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm sure we will be hearing from you in the future sometime. Um, but yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast and for supporting us. And stay tuned for when we come back in a couple months. Until then, be sure to stay safe and we'll see you soon. Take care. This podcast would not be made possible without the Office of Multicultural and International Student Services at Point Loma Nazarene University. It was executively produced by Bella Passi and Sam Kupong. It was written by Fernanda Viana and Bella Passi. Research was done by Fernanda Viana. It was filmed by Kevin Langley from the Media Services Department of Point Loma Nazarene University. Edited by Bella Passi.